I was actually thrilled months ago when Pastor Chad announced that he would start a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount because as it ends up, it's one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. And I am grateful that we um, have this moment in time and that Pastor Chad invited me to share with you just a few thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount as today we actually conclude the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Pray with me. Father, in, in the name of Jesus, we... We pray that you would be present with us today. Lord, you know that all of us have brought with us uh, the complexities of life. Uh, We know that we are all carrying with us the anxieties about the future, the cares and concerns about the past, and right now for just a few moments. We ask, Lord, that you would take those and that you would place them on the back burner so that for the next few moments, all that we would hear are your words, and that we would sense your presence among us, is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when Leah and I announced um, and decided on our wedding date as May 26, I realized that I had about a month between graduation from college and the big day uh, to make a few extra dollars, uh, not only for the wedding ceremony, but also for the honeymoon. And so I looked for a quick way to make an extra dollar, and I learned that there on our college campus, one could apply for a job as a temporary construction worker because on the campus was being built a massive three-story, new, brand new men's dormitory. And so I applied, got the job, and they paid weekly in cash, perfect situation. Well, there we were, eight, ten hours a day, working in the hot Texas sun, building this massive foundation to this men's dormitory. Now, as fun as that may sound, To me, the best part about the whole day was break time, and not for the reason that you may think. See, in building, or should I say in excavating, the the, the giant pit where the foundation was going to live, the construction workers, in digging a 15 to 20 foot deep pit, unearthed, inadvertently, an entire layer of North Texas civilization around three feet below the surface. You could see it. You could see little artifacts buried in the dirt. Now, nobody either knew or cared about this thing, but I certainly did. And so during break time, I became an amateur archaeologist. And I'd take every possible moment that I wasn't working to go and with my little tools and trowels, begin to unearth some of the things that were captured three feet below the surface. And I found some pretty interesting things, including a 19th century sealed jar of ink. There was only one problem. Um, As time progressed, the only thing I could think about while I was on the job was break time. Now, fast forward, it was was a, a... Successful experiment, money made. Fast forward several years, and as we kept in touch with the college campus, we began to hear that the dormitory, which had now been completed, was experiencing some structural challenges. 
massive cracks in the walls. And the article said, we believe the culprit to be the foundation. Instantly, I was, I was struck with a tinge of guilt. Did I contribute to this issue? Was my mind somewhere else other than on my job? Did I miss a rebar tie or two contributing to the, uh, the, the, the structural weakness of the foundation? Well, a short while later, Leah and I actually moved back to the area and we purchased a home not five miles from that men's dormitory and soon enough we discovered what the problem was. In fact, our very home began to experience the same types of cracks in the brick. And as we looked into it, we discovered that this is quite normal in Texas, especially in North Texas. Why? Well, because the soils in North Texas have a lot of clay, and clay either expands or shrinks with the amount of water that it comes in contact with. Therefore, and by the way, they call these expansive soils, expansive soils, as a result, they are responsible for cracks in these structures as the foundations literally shift with the change in conditions. The foundations literally shift with the change in the weather. Now, no doubt, Jesus would have had a very receptive audience in North Texas had he preached the Sermon on the Mount to that group because he concludes the series, or should I say his sermon, with a topic that is everything to do with soils and foundations. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, where the, whether they be analog or digital Bibles, turn there to Matthew chapter 7, and put your finger in there as we conclude today the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you may know by now that Jesus begins in Matthew's gospel, his sermon in Matthew 5, and then it goes all the way through Matthew chapter 7. That's where we are this morning. It has been quite a journey for all of us as we have made our way through this series and explored a very critical and a very fascinating portion of Scripture that, that, that chronicles a sermon given by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, or maybe we should say toward the beginning of his ministry, which essentially outlines the worldview of Jesus Christ, right? The world, in fact, some people have called the Sermon on the Mount the constitution of Christianity because the Sermon on the Mount encapsulates both the Christian worldview and, more specifically, the Christian ethic. In other words, if you want to know, if you want to understand the vision that Jesus Christ has for the world that he created, immerse yourself in the Sermon on the Mount. And he concludes now his magnum opus with one critical word. We are in Matthew chapter 7. Take a look together at verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, Jesus says, therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, it's easy 
very easy for us to gloss over that first word, that first transitional word, therefore. But that one word is absolutely critical because therefore, grammatically speaking, therefore means that there is a relationship between the content that comes before the word therefore and the content that comes after the word therefore. It's a, it's a causal relationship. In other words, we can substitute this morning that word therefore with another word. Let's substitute it with the word consequently. So here's what it would sound like. Consequently, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Now, there are other therefores in the Sermon on the Mount, but this one stands on its own. It's safe to say that it's unique. Why? Because Jesus defines for us the content that comes before the word therefore and how it is related to the very conclusion of the sermon. Notice again in verse 24, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. Which words? Well, the words that he has just shared as the Sermon on the Mount, as we refer to it as. In other words, everything that Jesus has just said up to this point in his sermon culminates in what he is about to say. So then here's the question. What does he say? How does he conclude? Let's go back and read it again. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, Jesus says... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus concludes his sermon with an appeal. He's a good pastor. He's a great evangelist. He concludes his sermon with an appeal. He concludes by giving us a chance to reflect on a response that we would make to what he has just said. Now again, let's not gloss over that as we try to hurry our way to the construction site where the man is building the house on the rock. Let's not gloss over this either. Why? Because notice the very specific type of response that Jesus is encouraging us to have to his sermon that he has just preached. It's a two-part response. So, number one, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. So that's response number one. Everyone who hears, who listens to these words of mine. And then the second part, and who puts them into what? Practice. And who puts them into practice. Jesus is saying, if you want the tangible benefits of the worldview that I have just described, and he's about to get to the benefits, but he says, if you want the tangible benefits of the worldview that I just described, it requires more than just hearing the words. In fact, it requires more than just understanding the words. It requires more than just agreeing with the words. Dare we say, Jesus is saying, it requires more than just simply believing the words. What Jesus suggests as critical is what we do with what we have just heard, what we do with what we have just learned from him. It's the difference here 
between intellectual assent, in other words, just having a, a belief system, it's the difference between intellectual assent and cultivating a lifestyle in which that system of belief informs every facet of what we do, every facet of who we are, every facet of how we practically live our lives. Now, as one of the editors of our Adventist Review and Adventist World magazines, I have the privilege of keeping up with um, online comments that are made by readers about the, the various articles that we publish. Now, if you want to have some fun one day, just pick an article and read the comments underneath the article. One session in one afternoon is enough fun for a whole week. Some of the comments are actually very well thought out. Some of the comments are, are, are considerate, even when disagreeing with the actual uh, article. Many of them, though, are not. <laughs> In fact, we can, we can probably safely say that many of them are, are actually quite toxic and, and even mean-spirited. My, my favorite is, it, and it's happening here recently, my favorite is, is one of our readers who, ha, who, who has a very strong feeling about a very specific topic that he feels very strongly about. And what he'll do is he'll just copy and paste the same, the same comment underneath many different articles, uh, disregarding what the actual article is actually about. You gotta love that guy, right? It's an amazing phenomenon though. Think, think about this for a second. It's an amazing phenomenon how, in general, we can lay aside our Christian identity the moment our favorite theological, political, or social issue comes up. Now, of course, this is not unique in our community of faith. Uh, just do an experiment and troll through uh, Facebook or Twitter or choose your favorite social media site, and given a controversial article or, or conversation, you'll no doubt see the same type of responses all over the world. Enter Jesus, who has just spent the last three chapters in Matthew outlining the principles of his kingdom, the principles of the kingdom of heaven, or more practically, the principles that define the Christian's way of viewing the world. And here at the conclusion, he is pleading with us, don't just listen to the words. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Don't just believe the words. Do. Put into practice. Practice putting into your lives tangibly the principles that I have just shared with you, no matter what the environment and no matter what the subject. Now, in case you're thinking at this moment in time that <clears throat> this is a rather burdensome conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, if you're feeling a little discouraged, um, notice the reason why Jesus is encouraging us to do what he has just described. Back to Matthew chapter 7. We'll start in verse 24 again and then work our way through the next few verses. Therefore, <clears throat> Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Notice first a very major aspect of God's character, freedom of choice. Jesus is saying, look, you have heard it. You have heard the entire sermon, and now the choice is yours. And truly, he says, the choice is truly yours. With God, there is always freedom of choice. But notice, notice a second major aspect of the character of God a love so intense for you and for me that every time God allows freedom of choice, it is accompanied, every time God allows freedom of choice, it is accompanied by a warning about the natural consequences of our decision. It's actually a pattern as old as the Garden of Eden. Jesus provides this guidance. Jesus provides this warning in the form of a parable. And he says, look, the one who who listens and the one who begins to practice these principles in in their life, they're like a man who who decided to build a house and, and he built his house on a very solid bluff and he found enough rock so that he could anchor the foundation of his house in the rock. The storm came, it blew, but the house stood quite nicely. Now compare that to another man who who heard my words, um, and this is like a man who who built a house on the actual beach. The winds came, the storm arrived, and the house had no chance. His foundation was built directly on sand. Let's unpack this parable for just a few moments because it is rich with meaning for every single one of us. First, you may have figured out that Jesus is using this imagery of a house, of a home, to depict our lives. In other words, the totality of who you are is is now depicted by a house. And notice that in using this imagery, one would assume that Jesus understands that building A house, much like building a life, does not happen overnight. Some of you who have built your own houses can testify to the fact that building your own house does not happen overnight, and Jesus understands that building a life does not happen overnight. Please don't leave here discouraged this morning, thinking that you have to immediately begin implementing all of the principles of the Sermon on the Mount into your lives instantly. Think back to the parables that Jesus told, whether it's building a house or whether it's planting a crop, 
or whether it is tending a vineyard, Jesus understands that building a life, and more specifically, building a spiritual life, does not happen overnight, but that it is a process. But it does begin with a very specific and a very intentional decision. And here's the decision. Which type of ground will you build the foundation of your life on? Rock or sand? Now, before you begin thinking that this is a fairly obvious choice, let's look at some of the differences between building on rock and building on sand. Number one, digging a foundation into rock is not easy. And it requires a greater investment than building on sand, and many times the results of your work will not be immediately visible. The first mission trip that I ever participated in was in college to the country of Romania. And this was shortly after the, the fall of communism, and we were all very excited to go to this former communist country and to build a church, 70 of us. Only that when we arrived, we were told, well, you're not actually going to build the church. Um, your job is to just build the foundation. And so we went to work, and for a solid week, 70 of us dug trenches, trenches that were three to four feet deep, and toward the end of the week, we filled all of those trenches with solid concrete, three to four feet of solid concrete, and when we were all done, we backed away from the site, and we looked, and it didn't look any different than when we started. And the before and after pictures were horrible, because there was no difference, other than a very small rim, several inches of concrete that extended above the ground. And looking at that rim, we knew. We knew that there was a solid foundation of concrete three to four feet deep into the ground that would make for a very solid, solid foundation for that church that would be built by other teams despite our ability to see it. Now Luke, in his account, um, here's what he writes about the same parable. He says, as for, this is Jesus speaking again, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Our choice to build a foundation into rock implies that we are taking a longer view of life, implies that we are making a greater investment, that we are willing to dig deep and to do the hard work in order to achieve the better results. Now compare that to the foundation built on sand. Now Leah and I actually moved away and then when we moved back, we moved to Dallas, Texas and we bought yet another house in Texas. 
And this house was a really nice house because it was spacious enough for our boys who were growing to have room, as some of you who have kids know, to have room to run around. And, and, and the spacious layout of the house really attracted us. We purchased it, and the reason that it was a little bit more spacious than the houses on, on the rest of the, in the rest of the neighborhood is because the man who owned it really loved to build. In fact, he built an addition here, then he built a little addition there, and then another over here. And so this house, the original house, had all of these additions that the owner had built. This was great until several weeks into our ownership of that home, we noticed that one of the additions, which was a, a beautiful bedroom suite in the back of the house with a, with, the, with a large bathroom and a closet, that addition would literally rise and fall every time it rained. So we're talking way beyond cracks in the wall now. It would rise and fall. And so clearly we called a, an, a construction expert, a foundation expert, who did the research and gave us a full report of what was happening. The house was a pier and beam foundation house. So if, if you're not familiar with that, what that means is that you have these large concrete piers that are drilled deep into the ground until you hit bedrock, and they sit there, and then you concrete them in, and so it forms a really sturdy, sturdy surface for the rest of the structure to build on. Well, this particular addition, the foundation expert demonstrated to us and showed us, uh, was built in a rather different way than the rest of the house. In this case, for some reason, the previous homeowner had built that entire bedroom suite on a foundation of concrete cinder blocks that were literally sitting on top of the dirt. Now you remember the North Texas expansive soils, right? And there was no wonder that the altitude of the back bedroom changed every time the weather changed. This was, by the way, the quick and easy fix, I imagine. You know, it, it was a foundation that worked for that time, and the structure went up quickly, and he was able to say, look, I got it done, and yet it had disastrous results later on, unfortunately, for us. The first difference between building our life on rock versus sand is the amount of time and effort we are willing to invest in the process, knowing that, the deeper for foundation will be better, but perhaps may not be visible at the beginning, which leads us to the second difference. Much like our Dallas Foundation, a house, a structure, a life that is built on poor soil, whether it's North Texas expansive soil or sand, will not offer the house a solid base on which to rest. Why? Because the foundation will constantly be shifting with the change of conditions, causing structural damage, sometimes major structural damage, to either a men's dormitory or a tiny garage or to every facet of our life. Compare that to drilling those concrete piers deep into the ground where they sit on rock, where they rest on bedrock. Clearly, 
That sort of foundation, clearly, that sort of construction offers the life a solid, immovable base. From a common-sense perspective, that makes all the sense in the world. And yet, we've only yet just talked about this in terms of construction jargon. If there are any contractors out here, you have been salivating this whole morning. We're speaking your language. Construction jargon. But, but let me ask you a question. Is there more to the metaphor? Is there a reason why Jesus uses specifically the term rock, the imagery of a rock? Well, maybe if we uncover the meaning behind the word, it will help us to make a better decision, a better decision. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, only the second verse that we will look at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is a letter uh, as many of you know, that the Apostle Paul is writing to a local church much like this one. And there in chapter 10, Paul is rehearsing some of the history of the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Old Testament. And in, in that context, this is what he writes in verse 3 of chapter 10. Paul writes, they, and by they he means you know, the Israelites back in the wilderness, they all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied, uh, accompanied them, and that rock was who? Christ. That rock was Christ. Now, Paul, uh, just a few chapters earlier in chapter 3, here's what he writes to the same church, Corinth. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look throughout Scripture, it is full of, it is replete with imagery of God as a solid foundation and God as the rock. So then here is what Jesus is saying. Having heard and understood the words that I have just shared with you, Having heard the powerful principles shared in the Sermon on the Mount, the wise man will choose to put them into practice, and by doing so, you will be choosing to build the solid foundation of your life, not just on a rock, but on me, on Jesus Christ. Now, I can tell by your reaction that, like me, you may be thinking, wow, that sounds like great Christianese, right? That's a wonderful cliche, build your life on Christ. But if we left it at that, and if we all just departed at this very moment, some of us may be thinking, well, okay, but what does that practically mean? How do I apply that wonderful concept? To my life. Luckily, we don't have to speculate because the answer is right here in the very text where we are. Take a look again. Every, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock. Now, let's substitute the words because we just understood that the rock is who? Now, let's try again. The rock is who? 
Christ. Okay, so let's, 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 let's switch the words. Let's substitute the words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his life on Christ. The practical way to build your life on Christ is by putting into practice in our lives his teachings. In other words, when our lives are built on Christ, our actions are increasingly anchored in his teachings. When our life is built on Christ, the way we live is inextricably linked to his worldview. And as a result, our ethics are not grounded or anchored in the ever-shifting, ever-changing soil of a personal worldview, of a political party, or of a cultural tradition. They are anchored in the vision that Jesus Christ had for the world that he created. They are anchored and grounded in the vision that Jesus Christ has for your life, uniquely and specifically. And here's more good news. I looked up, I'm not a geologist, so I looked up this thing about rocks and I discovered that some of the strongest rocks on this planet require 60,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. You know what that is? That's 30 tons of pressure per square inch to crush the rock. What this means is that as Jesus is inviting us to build our life on him, to make him the solid foundation of our life, he is saying, trust me. Trust me because when you build your life on the solid rock of me, by living out the teachings that I have shared with you, you when you do that, your, your stability, your strength, and your ability to withstand life itself does not come from you in that moment. It comes from me. You see, in the end, the, the Sermon on the Mount is not a, a legalistic list of must-dos. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is also not a, a humanistic, self-help checklist of spiritual attributes that will bring you success in life. The Sermon on the Mount simply describes the sustained life of the believer who chooses to increasingly rest his life on Christ, who then becomes the very source of power for the believer's life. Think about it again in construction terms. The rock itself sustains the foundation and the foundation sustains the rest of the structure. That is critical because of the third and final difference between rock and sand between building a life on a solid rock or building a life on a shifting sandy foundation. Recall the parable again. Let's look at the third difference. The parable again in verse 25 of chapter 7 in Matthew says, 
the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Skip to uh, verse 27. Now the scenario in which the house was built on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The third difference between building on rock and building on sand is that when the storm comes, one life stands and the other one falls. Notice that for Jesus, the storm is a given. For Jesus, the coming of the storm is a sure thing. And I can imagine that some of you know exactly what Jesus is describing. I can imagine that some of you are right in the middle of the storm. In fact, I am quite certain that some of you are struggling against it right at this very moment. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus has not forgotten you. In fact, you were on his mind when he uttered those words at the end of his sermon long, long ago, and it is the very reason that he is making this appeal. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus knows and fully understands the complexity, the uncertainty, the unpredictable and violent nature of life. And yes, he has unveiled all of these powerful principles for living in the Sermon on the Mount, and yes, he appeals to us to, to put them into practice for our benefit, and yet he pleads with us, don't do it on your own. Don't do it in your own power. Don't build your life on the uncertain soils of your own making. Rest your life on me. Build your life on me so, so that when the storm comes, your strength, your stability, your ability to withstand life itself will not come from you, but it will come from me. The immovable unshakable, indestructible rock. Yes, my soul, find rest in God, writes the psalmist as we heard in our scripture reading earlier. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. That, my friends, is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. That, my friends, is the promise of Jesus for your life today.